We're going to go into the book of Jonah today, the book of Jonah. And um, if you have the uh, if you have the same Bible I have, which is a bilingual New Living Translation Bible, it is on page one thousand three hundred seventy-one. And if you don't, well, then it's another page. But um, Book of Jonah is where we're going. And uh, for those that might be new with us, we are going through the entirety of the Bible, beginning to end. Um, we are uh, two and a half years into this. And um, every time I project out how long it's going to take, I feel like it ends up going longer. And uh, but, but I think what we're really looking at is we'll probably finish sometime late next year. And we'll have gone through the entirety of the Bible in, what, four years, which is actually pretty amazing. And um, will, I hope, actually be a good resource for people over the years to be able to have an entire view of all of Scripture beginning to end. Um, but the book of Jonah is a, is a great book, short book, four chapters. You can read through it in literally, what, 10, 15 minutes. And um, this book is obviously about Jonah, and God calls him as a prophet to go and preach to a city called, anybody know the city name? Nineveh, correct. God calls him to go and preach to Nineveh, and so he goes there and um, preaches to them, and they end up what we call repenting or having a change of mind, a change of heart. And they follow the Lord as a result. But Jonah was kind of the unwilling prophet, right? He did not want to go. He wanted to do anything else, apparently, other than going and doing what the Lord had told him to do. So I think we're going to take two weeks in this. And today I'm going to go through chapters one and two. And, and like I said, uh, I, I really sense that the Lord wants to give some rest to people through uh, focusing our lives the right way. And so I'm going to jump right into this. We've got to read through both chapters because there's something important uh, to see between both of these chapters. And so let's jump uh, right into it. The title of the message is this, In the Heart of the Sea. Everybody say that with me. In the Heart of the Sea. If I was like really cool, I'd do a Disney song, Under the Sea, but no. Um, in the Heart of the Sea. That's where we're going. Jonah chapter one, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the, what? Opposite direction, the opposite direction to get away from, from who? The Lord. Now, this is interesting, actually. When I was, um, what I typically, I mean, I obviously read the Bible, but, but what I typically do in all of these preachings is, is I, I try to get through the whole book besides my normal Bible reading that I do on my own. But I try to read through the whole book and really just kind of ask the Lord, what is it that you were wanting to speak to us through this? Um, even though I know the story, but I really want to know clearly from the Lord, what is it you have for us? And, and this actually struck me right at the beginning, that when he is running away, he is running away from the Lord. So not just from what the Lord told him to do, but he's literally running away from God himself. 
And, and, and I thought that was interesting, the, the phrasing of that. So I looked it up. And, and sure enough, what I thought was happening was happening. That in the Hebrew, the word that exists here is panim. And if you've been around for a little while, you have heard me preach on this word because the word panim is the Hebrew word for, in English, presence. And the word presence or panim in the Hebrew literally means, I'm testing everybody, anybody remember? What does it mean? The face. And so to be in the presence of somebody is to be face to face with them. So when Jonah is running away, he is running away from what? From the presence of God. That is what he's running away from. Verse 3, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction, right, to get away. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from, it says it again, from the presence of the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. So he's trying to run from the presence of God. This is hilarious to me because if you go to Psalm chapter 139, we read these verses starting in verse 7. I can never, somebody say that word never, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your what? You know, I, I, I think it's pretty hilarious. I, I think Jonah and a lot of times us are, are thinking, man, I am getting on that boat and I am running away from the presence of God. And God is like looking down and going, dude, you don't even realize. To me, you're like the size of an ant. Run as fast as you want, and you're still not escaping me. You know, like you can't, you can't get away. And, and, and we have this idea that I'm going to somehow get away. And, and, and God's like, good luck with that. Go ahead. See how fast you run. It says this, if I go up to heaven, you were there. If I go down to the grave, what does it say? You were there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hands will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Sorry, my friends, you cannot escape the Lord, no matter how hard you try. And that's actually not, a, I shouldn't say sorry, that's actually good news. It is absolutely good news that we cannot escape the Lord. There's a lot of people that run that know the Lord. And as you'll see, Jonah knows the Lord. Does anybody in this room love Jesus? Yeah. And while you love Jesus, though, there's a whole lot of Jesus lovers that still try to escape. And I'm not talking necessarily about stopping to being a, stop to stop being a believer. What I mean is to escape his call. And God has placed the call on each and every one of you. What type of call? Let me set the foundation real quick and real simple in 60 seconds. God has called you as his son or daughter, number one. How many can say amen to that? And as his son or daughter, he has called you to live a certain way, to live according to 
his word. Is anybody with me on that? That is a call he has placed on your life. There's a whole lot of Christians who go, I would rather run from that call. I would rather do it differently. And God is saying, do not run from that call. But God also places a call on you individually as a follower of his in different areas, in different ways, in different things. And I'm not going to go through a list of that because that's different for everybody. Here's mine. Summer between junior year of high school and senior year of high school, I was 17 years old. I was at summer camp. Some of our youth are in the room and just went to summer camp a couple months ago. And I was at summer camp, 17 years old. Guy was preaching. Pastor was preaching. And he was preaching on what we call fivefold ministry found in Ephesians chapter 4, that there are five roles given to the church, pastor, prophet, evangelist, uh, apostle, and teacher, those five. Usually when I'm going through the list, I always forget one, a random one, and it takes me a second to figure it out. Anyways, we have those five. And, uh, and, and this preacher is preaching on these five gifts to the church, roles in the church. And, and then he says this. He said, God is calling some of you to one of these roles. Now, obviously, he didn't say God is calling all of you to these roles. No, because those aren't the roles that everybody has in the church, but some have. And so he said, God is calling some of you. And I'm sitting there at camp listening to the preacher, and I go, that's me. And I had this, the, the best way to say it is this sense, not, not a direct word from the Lord, like, thus saith the Lord, you know, but, but this sense that I'm supposed to be a pastor, you know, one of the five on the list. And so I had this sense of that. And so the, the pastor leads us to a time of prayer and I'm sitting there praying and I said, okay, God, here's the deal. I do not want to be a pastor. Uh, my family has a whole lot of them. You know, I just found out this, this like two weeks ago that, you know, great, great grandmother of ours, Pastor Jordan. By the way, Pastor Jordan's birthday today. So uh, really excited about him. He just turned 21 and has five kids. No idea how it happened, but, you know, God bless him. Um, and, and, oh, and one other thing, uh, in the back, we got Andrew and Kaylee that are going to have a baby. So, so excited about you guys. So awesome. Love you guys. Um, and so I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, you can give me any of the five except for pastor. And I, I just heard this week that we have... Had a great, great grandma, great, great, four generations before us that, uh, that, that you know, was trained in ministry and whatnot. So I, I, I'm just blown away. So, so I, I told God, though, like 20-some years ago, I said, God, there's enough pastors in this family. You don't need any more. So we're good. Like, just I'll take any of the other ones except for this one. So two months later, um, over here at Heritage, which used to be called back in the day L.A. Baptist, uh, where we went to school I, uh, and where our church met before this, um, I, I, my senior year of high school was the chaplain, essentially. So I helped to plan our, our chapels for, uh, for the middle and high school and, and all that type of stuff. And, and in my role as the chaplain, um, they uh, asked me to preach one day, and they gave me five minutes, okay, five, that, that's all they gave me, but, but they asked me to preach at one of our services, so I said, of course, okay, no problem, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that, and, and, and so this is, you know, just two months, two months after, two months after the Lord had 
called me and I didn't want the call. And now all of a sudden I'm preaching to 800 or 700 middle and high schoolers. And I don't know, how many of you love going to a Dodgers game? Anybody here? Yeah. I love going to the Dodgers game. And, but, but you know what it's like when you're at the game and there's just the murmur of the crowd because everybody's talking, right? Just everybody's in conversation. And so it's never quiet, right? And I'm not talking about the organ or the guy like shouting, you know, phrases that we should all like shout or whatever. I'm talking there's a constant murmur in the crowd. In fact, some of you go to games and you don't even know what happened in the game because you spent the whole time just talking to somebody, right, right? Constant murmur in the crowd. Well, that is exactly what our chapels were like. Yes, it was a Christian school, but let me tell you, they brought preacher after preacher after preacher, and nobody paid attention. They were all sitting there just talking to their friends, the whole deal, so much so that eventually, and you remember this, Pastor Jordan, uh, a teacher would randomly come up time to time and be like, everybody quiet! Respect the pastor! And everybody quieted down for two minutes, and then started talking again, you know, and, and that's how it goes. So this day, I get up there to preach for five minutes, and I preach for five minutes, and you could hear, these are the little words of what somebody that I knew said to me at the time. They said, you could hear a pin drop in the room. And I was standing there going, I am such an amazing preacher. No, that is not what I said. No, um, I was standing there thinking, what just happened? They listened to me. Why did they listen to me? They never listened to anybody. Why were they listening to me? And I was shocked. I was surprised. Two months later, after that, I got the opportunity to preach at one of our district youth events in Palm Springs, uh, we had 2,000 youth, and, and they gave me five minutes for that as well. The event was even better than just preaching at the event because I got to meet my lovely wife, and we got married. So that was an even better result than preaching. But I preached at that event, and it went really well. You're like, what is going on? But this entire time, I'm still running from the call. Look at somebody close to you and tell them, don't run from the call. So we have Jonah here who is running from the call, but he's running from the presence of God. And, and, and I want you to understand because the call and the presence, the call and the presence go hand in hand. They're together. And, and there's an operation of God in his presence that line, lines up with the call as you follow him and do what he has told you to do that ends up leading you into massive blessing in your life. And when I say blessing, I'm not talking riches, I'm not talking that type of stuff, but just the blessing of God, the peace and the joy of God, and, and blessing in a lot of areas that we can't imagine it. So the Lord sends this storm, and in verse 5 it says this, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep. Any deep sleepers in the room? Hard to wake you up like me this morning? He was sound asleep, down in the hole. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? 
He shouted. I mean, he shouted it, so I had to shout it. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. Now, you, you need to understand this, right? Because uh, in, 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 in the sense of, of gods here in the old days, people believed in multiple gods. The, the closest version we would have to this would be in some like Native American or indigenous groups that believe in like multiple spirits or in Hinduism that believes in literally millions of gods. And so people believe that there were like these small gods in charge of individual things. So you have like the god of the oceans and you have the god of the rivers and you have the god of the trees and you have the god of the moon and you've got the god of the sun and you've got the god of fertility and you've got the god of this, that and the other. And every god has their thing. And so if something bad is happening, it is happening because you made your god angry. And, and the gods are like little children that throw temper tantrums anytime you don't do whatever they want you to do. How many know that this is not our God? Our God is slow to anger. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious to us. And so this is what they believe, though. And, and it's important, because I'm going to get to this, it's important to actually understand this belief about God or the gods that they had. It says this, when they did this, when they cast these lots, the lots identified who is the culprit? Jonah. So they go to him, they go, why is this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I I'm a Hebrew, and I worship who? The Lord. Okay, somebody listen to this. You can worship the Lord, but still be a Jonah. You can love the Lord, but still evade the call. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. Why? 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 Why are the sailors terrified? This is simple. Because their gods were all little puny, lowercase g gods. But when Jonah speaks, he goes, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord. And who is this Lord? The maker of the heavens and the earth. My God is not the ocean God. My God is in charge of the ocean God. And so these guys are like, wait, like, we thought we were in trouble, but now that the problem is caused by your God, Jonah, we're like really in trouble. This is not the Mediterranean Sea God. This is the God over everything. This is a problem. And by the way, he had already told them, it says, that he was running away from the Lord. I mean, I guess good that he was honest. I don't know how that conversation went. Like, he bought the ticket to the airplane and climbs, you know, gets onto the airplane and sits in his seat, and somebody next to him says, oh, hi, I'm Jessica. Yeah, I'm Jonah. I'm running from the Lord, just so you know. Like, I, I don't know how that conversation goes, but 
he told them, you know, got the ticket, went on the boat, and yeah, just running away from the Lord, just so you all know. And, uh, and they go, oh, why did you do it? Why would you run away from God? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Because now this might sound weird to us now, but, but this would have been a normal question. Why? Because typically the God needs a sacrifice in order to be appeased. A sacrifice needs to happen. And so Jonah says this, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, what happened is the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Look at somebody and tell them God has his reasons. This is important to understand because a lot of people put God into a box of their own creation. And, and I actually hear this from people all the time. They'll say something like this, that they're kind of trying to counsel somebody or give advice to somebody. And they'll say, here's what the Lord did with me, and he's going to do it with you too. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you are. No, I love you, but you're clueless. Because the way God works with you is not always the way he works with somebody else. God is God. He's above all and over all. And God gets to do what God wants to do. And this is why you have in Scripture a guy like Jonah who suffered immensely, right? And what did Jonah do wrong? Nothing. Did God have a purpose in it, though? Absolutely. But then you have, uh, sorry, not Jonah, Job. I'm saying it all wrong. Job. Somebody's got to correct my preachings up in this place, right? But Job. Well, what did Job do wrong? He did nothing wrong, yet he still suffered, did he not? He did. But Jonah is actually receiving some type of what seems like punishment from the Lord directly related to him running away from the call. And does God sometimes do that? The answer? Yes. Is he like a little kid God who's throwing a temper tantrum? No. God has his reasons. He has a purpose in everything he does. But let me just tell you, he does it different with everybody. Maybe one person runs and God deals with them one way, and another person runs and God deals them with them in a, in a different way. But in this way, God shows up. And I love it because Scripture tells us in Psalms that we cannot run away from the presence of God. And I want you to see this, because even though Jonah was running away, God's presence was still there. And it was God's presence that brought the storm. Oh, you heard me. Wait, I thought God's presence was just when we're like standing here and worshiping like, oh, thank you for your presence, Lord. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little do you know God. His presence is powerful, my friends. And you can't get away from it. 
And because you can't get away from it, God's presence was right there creating that storm just for Jonah. And just in case you're wondering, like, is this even biblical? Oh, it's absolutely biblical. I don't have the time in this message to go all the way through it, but I'll give you one example. Anybody remember when Moses was up on, on the mountain with the Lord, right? And when he was on the mountain with the Lord in the desert, God had a, watch this, it was a cloud that covered the mountain. So Moses was in the what? In the cloud. Everybody with me right now? Everybody say cloud. But the people of Israel that were not on the mountain, they were standing a ways away from the mountain. When they looked at the mountain, they did not see a cloud. What they saw was fire. It was the same thing, but manifest in two different ways. The very presence of God showing up in different distinct ways, depending on the perspective of the person and what God was doing with the people. And so just know God's presence is always and everywhere and doing what he is doing. He is always at work. And in one moment, it's a sweet presence like we are in worship and whatever. And in another moment, he's throwing a storm because he got off course. But the way to get back to the sweet part is to say yes to the call. It's to come back. The sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And it says this, and the storm stopped how quickly at once i want to tell you right now that there are some storms in your life that can be stopped and they can be stopped immediately but that what they're going to require is that you get thrown into the sea of god's mercy that you would step out of where you are right now running away or on a detour and you would come back to the call come back to the way come back to the path that God has established. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. I got a quick question. Does God need you? The answer, absolutely not. God is God. He does not need you at all. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the wind. He doesn't need the waves. He doesn't need air. He doesn't need oxygen. He is God. Let me be clear on this. Did God need Jonah? Nope. If you actually read this, verse 16, you realize that the sailors got saved all on their own with God. Jonah, Jonah did not get onto that boat preaching to them like, oh, the Lord is good. Holy is the You need to meet my Jesus Oh, he's a good Jesus. If you would just come to him and leave your sins behind. Oh, come on, sailors. He is our salvation like in the days of Noah. No. He's like, just so you know, I'm running from God. He wasn't preaching to anybody. God can save them all by himself. So did God need Jonah to go to Nineveh? The answer, nope. So then some of you are sitting here going, well, then why in the world does he ask us to do anything? I'll tell you why. See, on one side, there's gods that are needy. Those gods are no gods at all. But on the other side is a God who needs nothing. And because he needs nothing, he just pretty much ignores us because he has no use for us. Well, that's not a God at all either. But our God, who needs nothing, delights in us. 
and wants us and desires us. Needs us? No. Desires us? Absolutely. And he invites us to participate with him in that which he is doing. And can I just tell you right now what a privilege it is to be called by the Lord. What a privilege and honor it is to follow Jesus. And if you are here today and you've been running and you've been detouring and you've been on your own path, let me just tell you, your own path, the way of this world, the way of lack of trusting in God, the way of human ingenuity, human planning, human strategy, human ideas, that path is a disastrous path. There is nothing good on it, but the path of the Lord is a privileged path. It is a good path, and it's a path that I am grateful to walk on. And so, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. This is prophetically looking forward to Jesus who would be in the grave. And Jesus even mentions it. He mentions the sign of Jonah. What I want to do today is get us through chapter 2. And I spent all this time in chapter 1. Don't worry, chapter 2 will not take as long. But I, if there's something I want you to understand here, and I'm going to say it, if you're taking notes, this is going to be very helpful to you. Chapter 1 is the outward expression of chapter two's inward situation. Chapter one, we see, yes, it's real. Yes, it's physical. The storm actually happened, but it's also symbolic of what is happening in a deeper place inside of Jonah's life that we see in chapter two. And we're going to get this right now. I said the title of the message is in the heart of the sea. We're, we're going to see uh, where this happens, but it has kind of a double meaning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord as God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Can I just tell you that no matter how deep you are on the path away from the calling of God, he will still hear you when you cry out to him. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down where? To the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more. I will look once more. Say it with me. Look once more. He looked once more. I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes 
from the Lord alone. How many believe that? Amen. Come on, we can give that applause to the Lord. Now you read this and you go, yeah, 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 okay. So he was going down into the sea, most likely Mediterranean Sea. He was going down, 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 down into the sea and the seaweeds wrapping around him and the waters over his head. And, and that's pretty physical. And then he's like, God, can you save me? And God saved him from the water. And, and then verse 10 saves him from the fish who it says spit Jonah out onto the beach. Can you imagine being on the beach with a whole bunch of fish saliva? That would be an interesting. Okay, I, I think of weird things when I read the Bible. But, you know, that's what happens. Um, I don't think anybody's been through this in their life. Praise the Lord. Um, but you could read this like you read chapter 1. Track with me here. You can read it like you read chapter 1. Kind of like, okay, God sent the storm. And okay, now Jonah in his prayer is saying that I went down into the ocean depths, which he did. He was in the heart of the sea. And then God, he prayed for God to rescue him. And God rescued him and praised the Lord. And, and you can read it that way, which is correct. Somebody say with me, that's right. But it's not the only way to read it. Why? Well, because we actually have the Hebrew, right? That this was translated at. And we have some other things that are going on. I want to go back to verse 5, and I want you to see this. Because when you read in verse 5, if we could, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters, what does it say? Closed over me. What this really reads like in the original Hebrew is that I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over my soul. My soul. That while he was in that water sinking and drowning, it wasn't just his physical body that was drowning. His soul was drowning. His soul was drowning because he had detoured from the call of God. His soul was drowning because he was walking his own path. His soul was drowning because he knew what his soul needed. But what he was doing was the exact opposite of that which his soul needed. And so the heart of the sea was not just the position of Jonah in the water. There's also the heart of your heart, the heart of your sea, the sea which is your heart and where the deepest parts and the depths of your heart and your soul are and what is going on in those places. You see, what happens in chapter 1 is just an outward expression of Jonah's inward condition. This man thought he knew better. This man wanted his own way. And can I just tell you just for a moment that we all, even as believers who love Jesus, still many times want our own way. Does that happen to anybody in this room? And so his soul was engulfed in water. His soul was drowning. And this is important for us to understand. And I want you to really, really understand what I'm going to say. Just know that so often 
If you just pull one little part out of a preaching, you may not get the whole context of it. And we've preached on things related to anxiety and depression, and we've preached on psychologists and taking medicine and medication, those types of things. We've preached on those multiple times in the past. We're a balanced church in understanding that there are many times where there's tools that God has created that are very useful to us, and we don't have a problem with that. But what I want to say today is something very specific, that there are a lot, a lot, a lot of believers that live in anxiety or depression, and it has nothing to do with the clinical condition. And it has nothing to do with, well, it's just, you know, this is going on and that's going on and the other thing's going on. It's just a really big burden. There are believers that today suffer anxiety. Hear me now. Because they're misaligned. And because the call of God is right here. But you're walking over here. And your soul, which was built to obey the Lord, your soul can't handle it. Your soul cannot handle the fact because you have been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because you love the Lord. Is anybody with me? And deep down in your soul, your soul wants what the Lord wants. And it's in this constant struggle against something else we call the flesh, that scripture calls the flesh. And because you're giving into your flesh, it is at odds with the desire of your soul and your heart that has been transformed by the Lord. And your soul can't handle it. And for many believers, that is the cause of their anxiety. Are, are you accusing me of something, Pastor? No. I, no. It's different for every person. So if you take my words as applying to every circumstance and every person, then you're hearing me wrong. But there are some people that this applies to. And, and the reality is your soul will be okay when you finally bring everything back into alignment with the call of the Lord on your life. That looks different for everybody. Maybe the Lord has told you to do something. You haven't done it. Maybe the Lord told you to leave a friendship. You haven't left it. Maybe the Lord told you to leave, leave a dating relationship. You haven't left it. Maybe the Lord told you to talk to a girl. You haven't talked to her. And so your soul is just like, ah! It could be a million different things. Maybe the Lord told you to leave a job you need to leave or to get a job you weren't getting. I don't know. It looks different for everybody. But what the Lord has called you to, you need to align with because if you don't, your soul is going to be broken because your soul actually desires the Lord. He's changed you. And so your soul cannot handle for long walking in a different way than what the Lord has for you. It's too painful. And that's why Jonah was willing to th get thrown into the ocean. First, because he knew that the Lord would catch him. Of course. Because the call of the Lord was still there. He still had to go preach. And so he knew the Lord would get him. And the Lord did. And the storm stopped. Watch this. The storm stopped immediately. Somebody say that word immediately. 
there are some storms in your life that very possibly might stop the moment you come into alignment with the call of the Lord. But while you're walking another direction, the storms will keep on coming. And can I just tell you this? You're going to do this. You're going to try to manage the storm. You'll try to sleep during the storm. You'll try to row harder during the storm. You'll try to throw stuff overboard during the storm. You're going to try everything possible to eliminate the storm and to make it to land. And no matter how hard you try, you won't get there until you throw yourself into the merciful hands of God and say, I am done doing it my way. I am now going your way. And when you choose that, the storm, stops. Maybe it's an external storm. Maybe it's an internal storm. Again, it looks different for everybody. But today there's a call to come into alignment with the Lord. Come into alignment with the Lord. And if you do that, you will get the blessing that comes from the presence of God. God's presence won't be the storm on you. God's presence. Oh, God's presence be his abundant grace and mercy. So throw yourself into the oceans of God's goodness and experience all that he has for you. Let's stand together. So in December of 1996, six months after I started running from the call of God, one month after I had done my second preaching in this big youth event, I was in a moment of prayer, and the Lord speaks to me, and he says, Jeff, you know I have called you to be a pastor. And I said, Lord, I know, and I accept. Fortunately, I only ran for six months. And I didn't run with Jonah like Jonah. I was living in my parents' house, so I had nowhere else to go. But can I just tell you that the moment I said yes, rest came into my soul. And there is a rest for your soul as you simply say yes. Jesus, today we are so grateful for you. You're a good God, a wonderful God, a powerful God. You work in so many different ways. We're grateful for your mercy and we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for your grace. And today, Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who live and walk in your rest because we live and walk in your call on our lives. Oh, Jesus, how much we need you. How much we need you. If you are here today and you need to say yes to Jesus, whether it's for the first time to come to him who is the Savior of the world and is your Savior, if you would allow him to be, or you know the Lord, but you also know that you have been disconnected and on a detour, walking away from his call on your life. And today, you're saying, Jesus, I want you, and I want your way for me. I want you 
I want your way for me. And if that's you today, would you just raise up a quick hand? Just raise up a hand. I want to bless you. I want to bless you today. Lord God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for these hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for each and every one who today is saying, Jesus, I want you and I want your way. And so in Jesus' name, may you, Lord God, begin to move powerfully in their lives. And Lord, as they're making this decision, by even a simple raising of the hands, just like Jonah throwing himself into the sea, saying, Lord God, I am throwing myself into your hands, unto your mercy. And Lord Jesus, may they experience your goodness. May they experience your grace. May they experience, Lord God, the peace and the rest that comes from coming into alignment with you. The rest that comes from coming into the life that you have to offer each and every one of us. So today, Lord God, do a new thing do a new thing do a new work in each and every one of these people whether new to you or coming back to the call and the plan and purpose that you have placed in their lives we thank you Lord in Jesus name we pray amen and amen let's give an applause to the Lord right now